Okay, so we are working through the book of Revelation, and I spent the last seven days reading this book, and reading it again, and continuing to read it. And I've made four pages of notes, which I shan't read uh, today, but I will give you some of the points that I've made over the last seven days, and I think it's worth doing this before we get into Revelation chapter 2. Christ would call himself the Alpha and Omega from Revelation chapter 1. And in case you weren't sure who the Alpha and Omega is, you are told from Revelation twenty-two thirteen, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And in verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So Christ is quite clearly telling you that he is the Alpha and the Omega. Christ has three terms. Son of man denotes him as a prophet for the first coming. Son of man denotes him as priest today. But the son of God denotes him as king for the future. So one more time. Son of man as prophet for the first coming. Son of man being priest for now in the third heaven. And the son of God being king when he comes back at the second advent. We also saw from uh, Revelation chapter 1 how Christ was in the midst of the seven candlesticks, being the seven churches, of course. On top of that, the seven stars, being angels, are in the hand of Jesus. And yet he uses the same hand to cradle and comfort John. That's a wonderful picture of not only the Lord being omnipotent, but also tender. Christ would likewise reassure John and the others during the transfiguration. This is a wonderful picture of sinners having affectionate fellowship with Almighty God. What other religion could offer such intimacy? Also, eternal security comes to mind. The church is in the hands of the Father and of the Son. We call that double security. But to really understand what is going on concerning Christ in the midst of the seven candlesticks being the seven churches, we have to go to Matthew chapter 18. We were told whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And in Matthew chapter 18, we read from uh, verse 10, Matthew 18, verse 10, Jesus speaking, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven there are angels to always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So if you want to hold to a guardian angel, okay, fine, but the chances are your guardian angel will be in heaven, not necessarily on the earth. And yes, I know that Hebrews tells us to be careful, to be mindful that we may have entertained angels unawares, but it's important we keep Matthew eighteen ten in mind because we have an angel in heaven which beholds the face of our father. And I will try and elaborate further on that. First uh, Timothy chapter five also discusses this uh, belief that we have angels which are assigned to us. First Timothy chapter five. Uh, take a look, please, at verse 21, Paul speaking. 
I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another doing nothing by partiality. So you were told to be aware that we have elect angels which are assigned to us. When I say us, I mean the church. Go back to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And the Lord will tell you in verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So it comes down to this, that where there are two or three of us meeting to break bread, to worship the Lord, to read the word of God, we have an angel in heaven which beholds the face of the Father. And yet in the Old Testament you needed at least ten men to constitute a synagogue. But for today, just two or three will warrant a church. And this will make sense as we continue to go through the book of Revelation. I showed you last time how Jesus Christ is currently seated next to his Father in the third heaven. But during the millennium, he is going to receive his own throne. But for now, he is seated. He is waiting patiently to come back and rule and reign. So just a very quick recap before we get into Revelation chapter 2. The Son of Man is prophet to mankind. The Lamb of God, a term which is the most used in the book of Revelation, is in reference to Christ being Lord over the animal kingdom. And yes, he atoned for the curse on them as well. Son of God pictures him as King and Lord of the earth. Throne of David, my kingdom is not yet of this world. When you get saved, according to Matthew twenty-two thirty, you are like an angel in glory. You're not necessarily an angel per se, but you are like an angel in glory. Matthew twenty-three, eleven to twelve, there is equality in the early church, and that equality is in strike contrast to the Nicolaitans, which I will get to this morning if I have time. Christ and Christ alone has the keys of hell and of death, which denotes his power to raise the dead and to render men happy or miserable in the other world as he pleases. Christ wears a golden girdle, being a belt, where he not only is now acting as our high priest, but also as our mediator between men and God. That shows he is very much interested in what we do. Christ will commend and also condemn each of the seven churches found in the book of Revelation, which again were local churches, literal churches, found today in Turkey. Much of his condemnations and commendations are relevant to what we find addressed to the Galatians and the Corinthians. And if we get a chance, I will also further elaborate on that. Also, it's very important to note that Revelation gives us four accounts of the second coming of Christ, exactly as Matthew, Mark, Luke and John give us four accounts of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's imperative we understand that. And that is referred to as parenthesis. And I will try and explain that as I go through the book of Revelation. 
The seven spirits are angels before the throne. Also seven lamps reflect the seven churches' lights on earth. Some burn brighter than others. Seven churches being seven candlesticks. Seven stars being seven angels before his throne. Seven churches had saved and unsaved people present. The condemnations and the commendations are slash were for the saved and the unsaved. The seven eyes of the Lamb are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the world. The church is Christ's body for the church age. And I will also try and explain that as I go through the book of Revelation. Chapter 1 verse 14 gave us the first explicit description of the appearance of Jesus. And uh, when John falls down in his presence to worship him, he doesn't rebuke him. Because Jesus Christ is almighty God. So I think that will be all for now. I don't want to <coughs> offer too much information and somehow get lost. Revelation is a very symbolic book. It's a very mystical book. And like I said last time, it's a, it's a neglected book. It's a ridiculed book. And yet, if you don't read Revelation, if you don't take the time to read it and believe it, you will miss out on a great blessing. So please... Turn to Revelation chapter 2, and let's start today's broadcast, if we may, in verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labour, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has laboured, and has not fainted. Chapter 2, verse 1, tells us that this is addressed to the angel. And most of your Bibles, most of your commentaries put out by the best premillennial teachers over the past 100 years will tell you that the term angel is actually in reference to a pastor, which of course is incorrect, because... There were no one-man pastors in the early church. The church were run by elders. And as such, those elders met in people's homes. So let's not change the word of God. Let's just leave it as it is. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write. And that's why I took the time to show you from Matthew 18 and 1 Timothy chapter 5. Clearly that what goes on on earth is mirrored in heaven. We have an angel in heaven who beholds our Father's face, who represents us, if you will. On top of that, we have Christ as our mediator. And on top of that, we have the Holy Ghost, according to Romans chapter 8, who intercedes for us. So we've got a lot going on for us. We've got a lot happening for us. We've got a lot uh, going on for us, like I say. But this angel is in heaven, not on earth. And therefore, this is how I understand this verse to be. John writes the book of Revelation. And he addresses this book, first of all, to the church in Ephesus, which then is reoccurring in heaven. Okay, whatever you bind on earth is bound on heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. You understand? So, if you are two or three meeting to break bread, to read the word of God, to worship the Lord... In spirit, you've got an angel in heaven. And in a way that I don't quite understand, he is beholding our father's face. 
and he has seen what we do on the earth. So let's not change this. Let's just leave it as it is and see what we can further glean from Revelation 2.1. Unto the angel, and I mean angel, not a pastor, of the church of Ephesus, modern day Turkey, write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, seven stars being angels assigned to seven local churches, in his right hand, not his left hand, and with his right hand, again, he would comfort and cradle the apostle John, which pictures again, Christ being all powerful and also most loving. And you ask yourself this, who else, when it comes to the world of religion, comes anywhere near this? Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks? Like Genesis chapter 3, the Lord God walked in the garden of Eden in the call of the day. And he calls out to Adam and Eve, same sort of picture. Christ is walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, being the seven churches. I know thy works, and thy labour, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them, which are evil. And now hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. He starts off commending them. They've taken the time to examine those that claimed to be apostles, and yet have found them liars. And you were told from John chapter 7 that when you judge someone or something to use righteous judgment so you can judge people and here you are being commended to do so and yet they are found such to be liars and i'm referring to apostles three and has born and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted they took the time to examine these so-called prophets these so-called apostles keep your hand in Revelation chapter 2 and go to 2nd Corinthians 2nd Corinthians and just a very quick uh, detour to cross-examine uh, or to cross-reference I should say this piece of scripture 2nd uh, Corinthians chapter 11 look at verse 4 please for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached of you receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Go back to Revelation chapter 2. When this was written, the apostles had almost died. I think John was the last to leave the earth. And therefore they were still, they were still living during that apostolic generation, if you will. Also the church of Ephesus is going to cover the church from 60 AD to around 170 AD. You see, these churches were not just local first century churches. They also are going to represent the body of Christ for the next 2,000 years. And that is called futurism. But this church starts off pretty good. They've been commended for taking the time to examine those that claimed to be apostles, claimed to have the apostolic sign gifts. And we've got those people today that 
offer themselves as such. And Christ says, you've done well for my name's sake and you haven't fainted. It takes time, you see, to examine those that claim to be apostolic. It takes time to read the word of God. It takes time to make sure that what you are hearing is correct. But look at verse four from Revelation chapter two. Nevertheless, I've somewhat against thee because thou has left thy first love. You, not God, have left your first love. Your first love is almighty God. And when you first got saved, if you're like I am, you were very much in love with the Lord. You're very much in love with the word of God. And you still are. And yet if you're not, the chances are you have left your first love. Five. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. If you are currently lukewarm, if you are currently dry, if you don't love the word of God like you once did, if you don't love praying, if you don't love enjoying fellowship with the Lord, you are lukewarm, you are in a backslidden state. But the latter part of verse 5, Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. His place, masculine, not its place, neuter, but his place. I will remove thy candlestick, being used to describe the church in heaven, out of his place. I'll tell you something, I spent the last week reading this book, and I was able to sit down yesterday and read Revelation Revelation in one sitting. It took me just over two hours to do so, and after finishing Revelation, I, I took the time to read some of the commentaries that I've got on Revelation, and I was somewhat perplexed that some of the best premillennial writers of the last 100 years skip over many verses in the book of Revelation. And you say, why would they do that? Well, because they don't understand it. This is a very mystical book. So all I can say is this, that you've got an angel in heaven who represents you. You are a candlestick in heaven. And yet, if you don't repent after becoming lukewarm, Christ will remove the candlestick out of its place. And I guess if I was to try and spiritualize that, I would say this, that you can, if you're not careful, lose crowns and rewards and if you really remain unfaithful, if you remain carnal and don't regain your first love, you may even lose your millennial inheritance. But let's keep reading because many times a verse will interpret a verse. A chapter will interpret a chapter. A book will interpret a book. And that's why if you can, if you have the time, try and read one book in one sitting, if you can. Look at verse 6, please. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans would be an early group in the early church which thought that it was acceptable to have clergy and laity, priests, if you will. And yet, keep your hand in Revelation chapter 2 and go back to the Acts of the Apostles. Acts Chapter 20, again, scripture with scripture normally helps us to understand what is going on. 
And in Acts chapter 20, look at verse 29, please. For this I know, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. They're going to come from within, not without. 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. We got it today. We have the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses going around. And the Mormons will say, are you in the Melchizedek priesthood? Are you in the Aaronic priesthood? The Jehovah's Witnesses will say, do you have the truth from the watchtower? The Catholics will say, do you have the keys of the kingdom? If you don't, you're lost. And yet, of course, we have the door. We have Christ. 31. Watch therefore and repent, that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Go back to Revelation chapter 2. Enemies from within, clergy and laity. Today we call those people priests. And they act as magicians. They try and give the impression of being able to do something which you and I can't do as non-priests. Meaning this, to bring Christ down from heaven. But you are told very clearly in scripture how Christ died once for the sins of the world. He would say, it is finished. It is done. Mission accomplished. Revelation 2, 6, one more time. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The apostles almost were guilty of this. There's an occasion back in the Gospel of Matthew, which I think is also found in Mark's Gospel from memory, where they were arguing who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And that took place just after the Lord told them that he would be crucified. Which shows me very clearly that you can be saved and yet be carnal. But here the Lord told you that he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And that's right. He hates all workers of iniquity. He's angry with the wicked every day. He went into the temple at least once with a whip. And he drove out the people there that were making merchandise of the backs of ordinary people and when he comes back at the second coming he comes back with a sword and i believe this that he is going to publicly execute people and on top of that it may even be televised live and that is insinuated also from revelation chapter 11 when we read about the false prophets and the antichrist and the dragon working together to execute the two witnesses, behead them. And that is certainly televised for the whole world to see. Revelation 2 verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Tim that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Most Armenians, most churches, most in Christendom think that you have to do something in order to be saved. They don't like the idea of just believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't like that at all. They want you to do something and continue to do something to be saved. Keep your hand in Revelation chapter 2 and go to 1 John chapter 5. Again, scripture with scripture. And in 1 John chapter 5. Take a look, please, at verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 
Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Go back to Revelation chapter 2. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I did 14 years ago, then I am an overcomer. I've overcome, past tense. On top of that, Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. So when you get to Revelation chapter 2, and if you are ever asked to explain this chapter or subsequent chapters, don't allow people to give you the impression that you've got to do something to get saved or to stay saved. If you believed, you are, past tense, an overcomer. So when it says from Revelation 2.7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. A very familiar theme from the Gospel of Matthew. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You know that you are saved, but also the latter part of verse 7. I will give to eat of the tree of life. You go back to Genesis, you think of the Garden of Eden, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You get a picture here of paradise restored. You've got paradise lost back in Genesis. And here Revelation tells us how paradise has been restored. And yet, if you are saved today, you don't get to eat of the tree of life. Or you don't need to eat of the tree of life in order to be saved. Because you are saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And I'll say this, that when Christ came up out of the tomb, he would eat, he would drink with his apostles. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. If you go back to the Old Testament, there are numerous accounts of angels eating, dining with certain people, not because they had to, but because they wanted to. And you'll read later in the book of Revelation how the redeemed are going to eat, drink, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But this term primarily has reference to those that get saved in the millennium. That's right, those that get saved in the millennium. And I'll further elaborate on that as I go through this book of Revelation. So I'm going to close there in verse 7. I'm already out of time. And just give a very brief recap. And if I may go back to my notes. Make sure I haven't missed anything. And I'll say this. That there's no way in the world you can rush this book. But what we've looked at this morning. As to what occurs on the earth. Is occurring in heaven. And that's a great thought. And yet it's something to take seriously. Because we have an angel. Which beholds our father's face. When we fail him. We upset him. When we please him. Or when we do well. We please him. Ephesus is the first to receive this message from the Apostle John around 96 AD. And this first century church was a literal church in Turkey. And this church is going to represent the first of seven churches. And the Lord starts off by commending them for taking the time to examine those that claimed to be apostles, that claimed to be able to do miracles. And they were told uh, that they were right in doing so. And yet, verse 4, they had lost their first love. Something went wrong. They had become lukewarm to some extent. And the Lord says, repent, change your mind, do an about turn, retrace your steps. Go back to that moment when things were rosy, when things were holy, when things were right. When you had that great peace in your hearts and in your minds. But if you don't do that, I will come 
and remove thy candlestick out of his place, picturing what will occur in heaven, not what occurs on the earth. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. They weren't going to be told what to do. They weren't going to be bossed around. They weren't going to be told what to do by priests, referred to today as father in the Catholic Church. And even the Greek and Russian Orthodox churches have priests which are very much over the laity. So what you've got today is a general overview of the first seven verses from the book of Revelation chapter 2. And as I just quickly skim my four sheets of double-sided piece of the paper to make sure I haven't missed anything which is relevant to today's message, I will say this, that the Son of Man, Son of God, Lamb of God, all find their titles in in the book of Revelation. And as I say, Son of Man pictures primarily Christ as a prophet, Son of God as a king. Lamb of God pictures him very much over the animal kingdom. Seven lamps are the seven spirits of God. Seven angels hold or represent seven lamps. Some burn slash shine more than others. Very true. No two are the same. Also, Lamb in heaven has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. The church is the Lord's body. And I mentioned that at the beginning of this message, which means this very simply that if you are a saved person and you come into contact with an unsaved person, That unsaved person is seeing Jesus Christ in you. And for that unsaved person, that's the nearest they'll ever get to heaven. And for that saved person, who's witnessing to an unsaved person, that's the nearest they'll ever get to hell. Keep that in mind, if you will. But I think for today, you've had all that uh, I can give you. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time recapping or going over the same old ground. But needless to say, this is a very spiritual book. This is a very deep book. And that's why most churches won't even touch it. And those that do, spiritualize it, and as a result, miss out on a great blessing. But I will say one final time to reinforce what I've said this morning, that when we get saved, we have an angel which is assigned to us in heaven. But his ministry primarily is in heaven, not on the earth. Where two or three meet to break bread or worship the Lord, that technically is a church. And as such, an angel is going to be assigned to you. And that's why John writes the book of Revelation primarily to the angel in heaven, not a pastor found in a typical church. In fact, the problem with most commentaries that I've read uh, on the book of Revelation is that they are, they are written by the one-man pastor, written by pastors. And of course, you know that the early church were run by elders. Family men, for the most part. So I'm going to close there. And next week we'll pick it up in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8.